couldn't have picked a better one myself. It's top of the line. All the options. The only thing it can't do is fly. No, I'm just licking. This one is way out of my price range. Oh, see, now there's your problem. Price range is really just a frame of mind. The facts are that you work hard. You deserve this. And God wants you to be happy. Yeah, appreciate your enthusiasm, but um, God never says that. Did you know that a uh, new car salesman loses 30% of his value the second he leaves the lot? Yeah. True facts. Google it. Yes. We're launching into a brand new series today called God Never Said That. Now, next week, we're going to look at the, 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 the misconception about something God said. When, when people say, God will never, never give you more than you can handle. God never said that. Week three, we're going to look at God never said that it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. Week number four, we're going to look at God never said that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Now, today we're going to look at a very popular belief in Western Christianity, and here it is. God wants you to be happy. Above all else, God wants you to be happy. Above all else, God wants you to enjoy your life. Above all else, God wants good things to happen in your life. Now, when you believe that, then the opposite thing you also believe, it's another misconception about God, and that's that God never wants anything bad to happen in my life. That's a little bit hot there. Gary, can you turn it down a little bit? So... The opposite side is God never wants anything bad to happen to me. Why? Because God wants you happy. Now, I want to play the devil's advocate for just a moment. I'm pretty good at that, but let me, let me just play it for just a moment. Psalm 97.12 says this. This is the, new living, or this is the living uh, Bible translation. May all who are godly be happy. Now, I want you to say this with me. May all that are godly be what? Put a smile on your face. May all that are godly be what? Look at someone and say, be happy. Doesn't that just make you want to dance? That's enough of that. I didn't tell you it's coming because I didn't want that to be on YouTube because my wife would not be happy with that. <sighs> yeah. Now, if you believe that above all else, God wants you to be happy, it starts you down this road of all these other misbeliefs, uh, uh, unbiblical beliefs. It's what I'm going to call the theology of happiness. And I want to tell you about this theology of happiness, and then we're going we're to contradict it with God's word. But first thing, if you believe above all else that God wants you to be happy, you start to think, number one, whatever makes me happy must be right. Whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. Now, how many of y'all remember the song, You Light Up My Life? I'm going to date the crowd right here. All right, there's like six of us. No, it's actually more. Okay. There was a song that came out in the 70s. It's a very popular song. And at the end it says, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. You light up my life. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard, right? Cheryl Crow, a little bit uh, more modern, she sings a song, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. That's just numb, right? Okay, we wouldn't have to think long. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. If you, go on this, if you go down this path of the theology of happiness, the second thing you start to think is that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconvenience, and obstacles can't possibly be God's will. 
John and I were talking about this, the open door policy. Nowhere in scripture does it say if a door is open, you should go through it. Satan can open doors. In fact, when the children of Israel were going to go into the promised land, there was a flood. You can't have any more closed door than that. The Jordan River was at flood stage. And God says, cross the Jordan River. A million men, probably three million total when you had women and children, the door was closed until they obey God. And then miraculously, the river dried up for 18 miles. And the Bible says that when they went into the promised land, that the people in the promised land quaked in fear because they heard about their God who dried up a river for 18 miles. The third thing, if you believe in this theology of happiness, is without knowing it, I began to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. Because why? Because those things make me happy, right? Now... When we believe God wants us to be happy, our mindset shifts from I serve God to God, you serve me. You should do what I want you to do. We, we take the creator and sustainer of the universe, the Holy One, and we reduce him to this, this like cosmic Coke machine where I put in my coins, I do my stuff, I push the button, and God is obligated to give me what I want. This is, this is Western Christianity today. That, that God wants me happy. And we reduce God down to this religious thing. This religious formula. I said my prayers. I went to church. I tried to do good things. I tried not to do bad things. I gave a little money in the offering. I helped a little old lady cross the street. I dodged my neighbor's cat when I had the chance to just pull that sucker over. I didn't do that. I wanted to. I, there are two dogs in my neighborhood that have come into my yard and barked at me. That's a good way to die. But I didn't run over them when I had the chance. Now, now, should they wander out in front of me when I'm driving? The brakes will not be applied. <clears throat> but we think that that because I put in my religious duty that God owes me some stuff, I should get the job. People should go out with me. My headaches should go away. I should get the dream house because I put my money in, I press the button, and God owes me. You want to know the tragedy of this thinking? It's all over the place. People actually walk away from God. They turn their backs on God because of completely misguided thinking. They'll say, well, I tried church, didn't work, didn't make me happier. I tried religion, didn't work. Religion doesn't work. Let's just all say that. Just, that's such a fun thing to say. Religion doesn't work. Say it out loud. Oh, just tell everybody this week. Religion doesn't work. I tried the God thing. I even went to small group. I read the Bible for a while and I still have cancer. My kids are still in rebellion. I'm still not any better off financially. I tried religion and it doesn't, doesn't work. Religion doesn't work. I'll just tell you that. But if you believe that God exists to make you happy and you're not happy, then you're forced to admit that the God that you serve failed, right? This is the theology of happiness. If, if God exists to make you happy, you're not happy, then God failed. We started with the wrong presupposition, so we end up with the wrong conclusion. Years ago, I did a, a series called Questions, and what we said over and over was, if you ask the wrong people the wrong questions, you get what? The wrong answers. You start with the wrong presupposition, you're going to end up at the wrong place, 
Now, I believe that God delights in our happiness, just like any parent delights in the happiness of their children, right? You delight when your kids are happy. We were at the state gymnastics meet just a couple weeks ago. My girls finished off their gymnastics career. They did great. And one of the things I love about my girls is whether they were the best there or whether they, you know, stumbled, failed, they always had a good attitude. And all the other girls from the other gyms love my girls. Now, they're very highly ranked. There's very few of them as high as they were. People would stop when they would do their floor routines and watch. I would be at different places filming at different gyms, and I would hear girls say, oh, you got to watch these girls. They really know how to dance and tumble. And they liked our girls, and my girls were gracious, and that made me so happy. made me happy to watch them do gymnastics. But let's suppose... A couple of weeks ago, they're at the state gymnastics meet, and both of them get a perfect 10 on the floor. Now, I'm going to be blind. But then my beautiful girls go up to the other gymnasts, and they stick their tongue out, and they flip them off. <laughs> Suddenly, my girl's happiness is no longer my primary concern. My primary concern will be jerking their butts off the floor and having a little prayer and fellowship. In my family, prayer and fellowship means butt whooping. My dad whipped my sister when she was 18 years old with a belt, made her go to school with a dress on. She had, she had bruises. He'd get, be in trouble now, but he's in heaven, so he doesn't care what you think. I've never forgotten that. Dad whipped my sister because she was defiant to my mama. You see, when, when you blatantly disregard what God says, your happiness is no longer his primary concern. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. And if he doesn't discipline you, then you ought to question whether you're in the family of God because the Bible says if you're not disciplined, you're not his child. God doesn't care about your happiness when you're flipping people off. And God doesn't care about your happiness when you get mad at him and you flip him off. That's a petulant little child who's not had enough discipline yet. You get enough discipline, you become pliable in the hands of God. My girls wouldn't do that because they've had prayer and fellowship throughout their lives. (laughs) Now, let me tell you two specific times that God does not want you happy. Number one, when it causes you to do something sinful or stupid. I like alliteration sometimes. Sinful or stupid. Wrong or unwise. Now, have you ever done something that you thought would make you happy only to discover later that it made you miserable? I don't know why I was thinking about this. I guess because, yeah, three of us. Thank you, Carlene and Sharon. They're the only two, but okay. I was, years ago, we were in Arlington. I was a youth minister, and um, we used to always take the seventh graders on trips um, to introduce them into the youth group. And so we took them to this place called Burgers Lake. And and this is on one of the top 10 swimming holes in the state of Texas, Burgers Lake. I don't know why. It's kind of like, kind of like Salmon Lake. It's it's exactly like Salmon Lake, Um, but just a couple more things. They have this rope swing. So me and these, you know, 15 um, seventh graders are waiting in line for the rope swing, and Janie's there, and, and somewhere, see, when I was younger, this was, this was 22 years ago, all right? I was 28 years old. So I used to like to flip off of the dive, flip off. I used to do flips off of the diving board. I didn't like to flip off the diving board. That's just bizarre. Uh, what's he doing? I don't know. But I used to, I would do uh, front flips. I'd do back flips. I'd do gainers. I would do one and a half. So I'd do all this stuff. But I didn't like to go in the water, you know, where, where you were, where there was no splash. Every dive of mine, no matter what I did, ended with a big splash. That's what I thought you were supposed to do. So I'm thinking, 
I'm going to swing out on this rope swing and I'm going to do a gainer because I did that all the time. No big deal. But this time I was going to do something special. I wasn't going to tell anybody in line. I was going to do a double gainer. I'd never been on the rope swing before and I mistimed it. And as I get out there, I didn't let go at the right moment. So Janie said I was like in slow motion. I came up, I came over and I made one and about a quarter and I landed, no kidding, flat on my back. Bam! I thought I was dead. I really did. Janie stands up on the side. She comes running in the water and I come up and I can't, I crawl to the shore and I lay down, you know, those seventh graders are like, was that fun? Like, you can't be in my youth group because you're too stupid. I thought it would have been so much fun in my mind. I was going to execute this, this double gainer and splash. And Oh, I splashed. In fact, the, uh, the uh, lifeguard even noticed and asked me, what was wrong with me? Um, I said, I'm just stupid. That's what's wrong. Now, I think that all of us have thought we were going to do something that would make us happy, and it didn't make us happy. Am I right? Everybody, everybody there? Now, let me, let me show you what the scripture says about this. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in what? Death. All right. There's a path. Now, you, you may have heard it in a different translation. It says there is a way that seems right to a man, and this says person, so it, it's talking man or woman. There's a way that seems right to a man or woman, but its way, its, its destination is death. Now, you need to understand, sometimes it's, it's talking about the death of a marriage. If you go down this pathway, your marriage will end. If you go down this pathway, your business will end. Your relationships will end. Sometimes it is talking about a physical death. The scripture even talks about this, and I didn't put this on the screen, but I was reading through this this morning because God just brought this to my mind. There is a sin. The scripture says there is a sin that leads to death. Listen to this. This is 1 John five sixteen. If you see any brother or sister that's Christian commit a sin that does not lead to death, there's a sin that doesn't lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death, but listen to this. There is a sin that leads to death. And the scripture's saying, I'm not telling you to even pray for people who are committing sins that lead to death. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that sin is because I don't know what it is for you. But I have seen people who've gone down pathways of sin and and. Folks have been, had signs waving things and saying, you're going to destroy your life. You're going to die. And, and there's, there's a couple of instances in my lifetime where I believe people, God said, you're not going to sin and defame my name anymore. And he took their lives in, in very strange circumstances because there is a sin that leads to death. I don't care if it feels good. If it's a sin, it could cause the death of your marriage. It could physically cause your death. It could set your children on a pathway that leads to their death and destruction. Never underestimate the power that your choices have to influence your children for good or for bad. We've got to pay attention to that. You do not know how your disobedience to God will affect those around you. Now, too many church people believe the Bible says this, but just as he called you, but just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you do. That's not what the Bible says. Some of you know what the scripture says. It's 1 Peter 1.15. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. See, God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. You're not going to take the things of this world into heaven. What you're going to take is your character. 
And so what if God gave you marriage not to make you happy, but to make you holy? What if God gave you some, some incredible holy sandpaper to rub off the rough edges so that you could look more like Christ? And some of you are going, man, my sandpaper's rough, right? Your sandpaper's rough, isn't it, Ann? Yeah, we know, I know. So is Janie's. I'll, I'll, I'll help you out there, John. Here's what holy means. Holy means set apart, dedicated to God. It means to be in right relationship with God. And if you ever question what right relationship with God is, let me show you. This is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I want you to read these next two lines that I've got underlined. Oh, I didn't underline them there. (laughs) Just read the next two lines. I no longer live. Say that with me. I no longer live. Say the next phrase. But Christ lives in me. Say those two phrases. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Crucifixion sounds like it's painful, doesn't it? It is. I've been crucified with Christ because he's my Lord I no longer get to make the choices about what I do in my life without running them by him. Don't separate Lord and Savior. Don't say, well, I'm going to have fire insurance because I don't want to go to hell and then say, but I'm not going to do what God says. No, 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 no. God saves you because you bow the knee and you say, you're my Lord, you're in charge. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, All of us have done stupid things in the pursuit of happiness, right? Sinful or stupid things, right? Now, I won't ask for volunteers for this one. Anybody ever committed sexual sin in the pursuit of happiness? Oh, yeah, I think it's going to make me happy. It doesn't. Anyone ever done something illegal in pursuit of happiness? Probably. Has anyone disobeyed your parents in pursuit of happiness? I'll ask for volunteers on that one. How many? Oh, yeah, some of you are grinning about it. Yes, me! They couldn't wait to raise their hands. Holy cow. Need some prayer and fellowship. Now, here's the thing. The Bible says that sin is fun for a season. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible's incredibly practical. Sin is fun for a season. But the Bible also says your sins will always find you out. If, if I do your wedding, we talk about you are, you are making a commitment before God. We talk about this all the time. Marriage is a covenant, not a, not a commitment. Commitments can be broken. Covenants can't without serious consequences. In fact, for those of you who hadn't heard this, the, the middle aisle, there's significance to the middle aisle in, in a wedding. Because in the Old Testament, what they would do, if they were going to make a covenant, John and I were going to make a covenant, we would go out and we would take an animal, we would cut that animal in half, we'd put one half here, one half here. I would walk through, it's called my walk of death. I would walk through and I would say, God, do to me what I did to this animal if I break my covenant with John Colander. This is what we'd do if we were going to go into business. And then John would walk through the middle of those animals as well and say, God, do to me what we did to this animal if I break my covenant with Doug Washburn. The significance of the center aisle in a wedding is that is your walk of death. (laughs) Sandpaper, right. But what I mean is you're saying to God, my marriage vows are so serious that I would rather my body be ripped apart than to, to go back on my word to you. That's not how marriage goes in this world, is it? Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to throw stones at those of you who've been divorced. You, you understand more than anybody else that God hates divorce. You understand 
what it does to families. But he, what I'm saying is I want you to realize, those of you who are in the worst part, you know in the, in the I don't use these because I try to use more modern terms, but you know in the, in the wedding when it says for better or for worse? Some of you right now are in the worst part. That's a part of marriage. You work through the worse to get to better. You do that when there's a covenant. I can't tell you, I don't even know how many times I've done it. When Janie and I have had disagreements or whatever, and, and you know, I can, get, I can get a little intense. I'll reach over and I'll grab her hand. Sometimes we're laying in bed and I'll reach over and I'll grab her hand and I'll say, I'm not leaving. Ever. Sometimes I'll wrap my arms around her and I'll say, I'm not leaving you. And I can feel her just Relax. I said, when I made my vows, it was till I die. That's that's what... (laughs) But I'm not happy in my marriage. I don't care. And neither does God. Because God's more interested in your holiness than he's interested in your happiness. My spouse didn't meet my needs. I don't care. When you believe the lie that God wants you to be happy, you you justify in your mind all kinds of sinful behavior. Oh, I need to be happy. Happens all the time. People people do stupid or sinful things because they want to be happy. For instance, you decide to eat cake. Now, notice I didn't say a piece of cake. You decide to eat cake because sometimes you just want to eat the whole thing, right? Okay. This happened to me the other night. Um, We don't have Bluebell, and I am so mad at Bluebell. Because summer and bluebell, that's just like air, air day. I can eat bluebell every day. And so I'm having a hard time because I go by, I do. At Walmart, I go by and I look down and, and I, I weep and mourn every time. I look down the aisle and it ain't there. And I'm just not happy with bluebell. I, it, it can't come back. Anyway, so I'm not, I, I can't cheat on bluebell because I, I, it's a covenant that I made with bluebell. And so I can't eat any of the other ice cream. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> I do have a sweet tooth. So every once in a while, Hannah will text me and she'll go, hey, daddy, we need pudding in the cloud. Have you ever, any of y'all ever had pudding in the cloud? Oh, oh. If you don't have bluebell, you need to eat pudding in the cloud. Now you go and you get, we get butterscotch pudding. Don't get that instant trash because it's like sand. It, it, I don't know. It's, it's nasty. You get the cook and serve. One time I got the wrong one, took it home. My mama, this is one of the things my mama taught me how to fix was putting it in a cloud. It's so simple. You get the cook and serve and you stir it until it boils. But the best thing, you wait until it has that little film on the top. I love the film. And, and it's warm. And what you do is you get some, some uh, whipped cream. You get Cool Whip. Don't, don't get, sorry, don't get the Walmart brand because they ain't no good. But you get, the, you get the good stuff. It's even better if Janie gets the stuff and mixes like 18 pounds of sugar in the, in the whipped cream. That's the best. But anyway, you get some good whipped cream and you, you put it in the bottom of the bowl. And then you, when it's still warm, you pour it in. You, you, you got it? You got the idea? And when it's perfect, when it's perfect, it bubbles up. Oh, I'm telling you. And my problem is I can't eat one bowl. I should just buy one thing, but I buy two. We double the recipe. And then I go in and I eat it all. And it is so good. I eat every bit. I'm scraping it. I'm licking the spoon. The other night I did that. <laughs> and I went to bed and I thought, 
I thought this is what it feels like to be pregnant. Because I was miserable. I had to sleep all propped up. My acid reflux started kicking in. And I'm going, that, that pudding was so much better the first time down, not the 16th time. I thought it would make me happy. You think that the whole cake will make you happy. You think that ice cream will make you happy. It doesn't. All right, that's an easy one. How about you hate your job? You can't stand it, and, and maybe you have kids. You've got three kids under five. I don't know what your, what your deal is, but you can't stand your job, and you can't wait. You're dreaming about going in and telling your boss, take this job and yeah, whatever you want to do with it, whatever you want to say in the name of Jesus, right? Um, and make you so happy, and people do this all the time, and I'm like, don't be stupid. Don't do that before you have another job because you've got little birdies at home to feed. But people say, oh, it'd make me so happy to tell my boss off. And they do it all the time. My spouse isn't meeting my needs. I'm going to look at pornography because my spouse isn't meeting my needs. And I need what? For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I hope you understand that the gift of lovemaking is a gift of God given to husband and wife in the covenant marriage. And, and lovemaking is a beautiful gift from God. And it's intended to be part of the glue that sticks you together in your relationship. The problem is too many people have had sex outside of marriage. And so the sex thing isn't sticky anymore. It doesn't cause you to bond with that person because you've quite honestly bonded with half a dozen, a dozen other people. And it no longer has that bond. I'm going to tell you the sweetest thing about my wife was she's a virgin when I married her. I was a virgin when we got married. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. But 24 years later, that's part of the bond that keeps us together. There's no comparison. There's no wondering if there's anything, anybody else. If you do things God's way, God will bless you. He's not trying to keep you from having fun. He's trying to protect you and provide for a future for you. Some of you, you just, you're like, well, we're already married in our hearts it's okay, I have needs. I, I, I have to have sex because we're married in our heart. Sucker, get your butt to church and stand right here before God and other people and commit to that woman if you're married. You, I dare you, girls. If you're having sex outside of marriage, I dare you to say, it's time to get married. You'll feel the breeze as he runs out the door. Because he's doing the test drive, why should he make the commitment if you're going to let him do the test drive? Some of you go to movies, man, they're funny, but they are sinful. Does funny make sinful right? No. What was that movie? Oh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Some of you read the book. It's mommy porn. That's what it is. Some of you read the book, and and we actually heard about people that come to New Life. They didn't want to go watch the movie down here at the movie theater because Joe's the general manager. I'm, I'm dead serious. So they drove to Tyler because that makes it right. And, and you were entertained by violent sex. And the only thing that made that, they, they released it on, on uh, Valentine's weekend. They released it there like as a romantic comedy. If the dude lived in, in Slocum and he wasn't a billionaire, it'd be an episode of America's Most Wanted. It wouldn't be a love story. 
because it was violent sex and people think that's romantic. I wondered, honestly, I wondered where all of the women's rights folks were because he dominated the woman physically and sexually and there's nothing romantic about that. Why were they not crying out again? Why, th- why were there not marches by the, by the feminists against this movie? Because that is not how you treat a woman. It's not how you treat a daughter of the king. Got real quiet in here. God does not want you happy when it causes you to do something sinful or stupid. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. All right, I got to fly. Second time that God doesn't want you happy is when it's only based on the things of this world. If you watch secular advertising, I, I did a late night when I had some, probably when I had, had put it in the cloud, but I was up late one night because I couldn't sleep, and I found four things, actually says three, but I found four, Travis, that I need to be happy, and it all came on those advertisements that come at two, three, four o'clock in the morning. One, I need a blanket with holes in it. I need a Snuggie to be happy, right? Second, I need this miracle lotion that will make me look 22 years younger. Third, I need the shake weight. You know what the shake weight is? That's the dumbest looking thing I've ever seen. I think somebody made that as a joke and took it to a college campus and said, here, do this, it's exercise. And then people started buying it. He's getting rich off the shake weight. And then I need Bosley Hair Club for men. If I had hair transplant, I would be a happy man. Now, <laughs> here's what the world says the formula is to be happy. Better possessions, that means a newer, faster, shinier, bigger, whatever, plus peaceful circumstances, the absence of all conflict, plus thrilling experiences, the perfect vacation, the fun experience, the big hit, the big thrill, plus the right relationship. If you're not right, I'll trade you in for something different, newer, younger, whatever, plus the perfect appearance, tuck it, lift it, puff it, smooth it, shave it, whatever you got to do to make it look better. If you have all these things, better possessions, peaceful, peaceful circumstances, thrilling experiences, the right relationship, the perfect appearance, that equals what? Happiness. Holy cow, that's too much to keep up with. The problem is all these things are based on happenings and happenings change. That's why nobody is really happy even when they have everything the world has to offer. They're not happy. And you won't be either. You want to know why? Somebody needs to write this down. You were created not to be happy. You were created to be holy. I was created not for happiness. I was created for holiness. And I'm not going to be truly satisfied until God molds me into a holy person. Look at 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Get that. Because that's a pretty startling statement. If I love the world, the love of God is not in me. If you love the world, the love of God is not in you. That's because there's a competition going on for your soul. One of the reasons we give regularly to the church is so that materialism will not take a grip in my heart. There's a competition for your soul. If you love the things of the world, love of the Father is not in you. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. See, God doesn't want you happy as much as he wants you blessed. The blessed life is based on God's goodness and grace. In fact, the word that's translated, the Greek word that's translated blessed is makarios, And it means supremely blessed, or it literally can be translated more than happy. This is cool. God wants you more than happy. When God blesses you, it doesn't mean you won't have a bad day. It doesn't mean your kids won't fight. It doesn't mean your car won't break down. It doesn't mean you won't get a zit right before prom. Those things happen. 
What it means is you'll experience the goodness of God in the midst of some trying situations. Jesus said you're going to have trouble. He said, but take heart. Now, I mean, there's the promise of God. You're going to have trouble. But he says, I've overcome the world. So too many people are looking for a pain-free life. And if we don't have it, we're going to blame God. And the reality is God wants to be involved in your pain-filled life, comforting you. In the middle of the storm, you can have a blessing. The blessing of God is a supernatural peace that covers your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus in the middle of a storm. Some of you today could have that peace if you would just stop and cry out to God. Now, you've been through enough trials to realize that, that you don't want to wish those on anybody else. But I just got to tell you, when I look back at the darkest days of my life, that's when Jesus was the nearest. I learned things about Jesus when I was going through the valley of the shadow of death that I wouldn't have learned on my best day because I wouldn't have been paying attention. But when I was at the bottom, Jesus was very, very real to me. Psalm 37, 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The idea of that word delight is to be made soft and pliable. It means your heart needs to be moldable in the hands of God. And when it is, God can lead you to do what he wants you to do. It's his super meeting your natural. That's what the blessed life is. Now, let me just finish with this. Max Licato tells this story, and, and he, he says this. He says, if you took a fish out of water and put it on the beach, would the fish be happy? Thank you. I've got, see, that was not a rhetorical question. If you take a fish out of water and put it on the sand, is the fish happy? No, because the fish is going, right? And you're going, stupid fish. Just breathe. And he can't. Now, what if, what if we were to give the fish $100,000? Would that fish be happy? What if, what if we gave the fish a lounge chair, a Corona beer, and a Playfish magazine? Would that fish be happy? Some of you aren't sure. You're like, oh. I mean, can't you, the fish is going, oh, look at the tail on that fish. Are those gills real or are they fake? Y'all are telling me that that fish wouldn't be happy? Why? Because the fish was created for the ocean, not the sand. You want to know why you're not happy on this planet? You weren't created for this planet. You were created to last forever. In fact, the Bible says, I use this a lot of times at funerals, that eternity is planted in the human heart. So your heavenly father, when he was making you up, when he was dreaming of you, when he was knitting you together in your mother's womb, he stamped this desire in your soul that you want to live forever. It's just not here. You were designed for a place called heaven. And until you get that in your mind and realize that this isn't our home, you're not ever going to be truly happy. Now, let me go back to the last, the verse I used at the beginning, and this is the last thing. Psalm 97, 12. I left out some stuff because this is what Satan does. May all who are godly be happy. What is that next phrase? In the Lord. See, Satan does this. He actually did it to Jesus. He said, Jesus, throw yourself off of this, this temple because it is written in Scripture that they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. He left out some stuff. Satan does that. People are going to tell you, well, God wants you happy. No, no, no may all who are godly be happy in the Lord. And then look at this, and crown him our holy God. What is a crown for? A king, the one in charge. 
You want to be happy in the Lord, then you have to bow before the king. Then he will make your heart into something that reflects Jesus. He will give you his desires. And then as you begin to pray, you start to pray in the will of God. God pours out his blessings on people whom he can trust. I think the biggest problem is he can't trust most of us in this room. Because the slightest sign of trouble, we're flipping him off and running out. Would you bow your heads for a moment? If you've been focused way too much on happiness and not on holiness, would you just raise your hands for a second? All right, put them down. Thank you for being honest. Some of you today need to run to your heavenly father and beg for his forgiveness. Because you've been telling everybody you're a Christian, you've been living like hell. Now God's not going to throw you in hell for that. But he has a father's heart and it grieves him. When my children don't want to be identified with me, it hurts me. It's high time we said, God, you're the number one and I want to please you regardless of the cost. Father, change us into people who reflect Jesus Christ to a world who desperately needs to see him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.